0: Welcome to Fail Up Africa, the podcast where we talk about all things failure. That's right. This is a podcast and this is a space where we share stories and experiences dealing with and learning from failure.
1: Each episode we sit down with a new guest, an African trailblazer who unmask what it really means to fail and what we can do about it.
0: And that's everything from schooling, to academics, to careers, to starting a business, and even personal relationships. This is a space where we can get vulnerable, but with a dose of humor.
1: Join us in getting real about failure. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children from all ages, wherever you're joining us in from. Welcome back to Fail of Africa, the podcast. Welcome back, hope you guys are easing into the new month pretty well it is february i don't know where january was running off to but we are just excited to be back here on the podcast with you guys my name is boniface omina also known as the local noisemaker and i'm not joined alone my partner in crime is also here on the call elva how you doing
0: hi everyone i hope that you are just as excited as we are uh with this episode look we we asked In fact, you asked, we asked, we all asked together and we listened and we have brought for you a guest that you've requested, a guest that you want to listen to. So get ready because it's about to be a journey. Now, our guest on this episode is known as a catalyst of change. He's a multi-dimensional and dynamic inspirational speaker all the way from right here where I am, Mzansi, South Africa. In addition to being a speaker, he is also an entrepreneur a mentor, an author, and a life coach. Although he has achieved so much, he mentions assisting individuals to navigate their lives as being something very close to his heart. Amina, tell the people who he is.
1: Guys, I'm already feeling pressure on this podcast today because I have people who have such a deep connection to South Africa. And me and my Kenyan energy, we'll see see how how it mixes and mingles with, with the conversation here today. Without further ado, lovely listeners, joining us on the podcast today is none other than Tabo Magano, also known as Coach T. Today's episode is yet another opportunity for us to sit down with one of the influential voices on the continent to learn more about his personal experiences with failure, his perspectives on the the topic of failure, and what he thinks people, both young and old, can do to better navigate failure.
0: That's right. Coach T shares with us about some of his experiences with failure, the communities that have shaped him, and his perspectives on failure and resilience. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to this episode. Now, Coach T, we're going to start off, first of all, welcome to you as well. We want to just quickly remind our listeners and share with you what our pillars are right here at Fail Up Africa, the podcast. These pillars are vulnerability reflection and learning, and always a little dose of humor. So we are asking you to get vulnerable with us, to reflect and share your learnings, and find those little moments to laugh with us as well. So let's start off this conversation by going right back to the beginning. In 1990-something-something, let's go back to Who is Coach T?, where is coach T from please briefly share with us your origin story from your childhood and all the things that have led to where you are right now
2: thank you so much for this great opportunity um thank you to you and your listeners um, and wow what a what an honor to just be able to be on this platform today with regards to who Coach T is and where he comes from, um, I always say to people that I'm, I'm the little boy who believed he could. Um, I come from a small village in Rustenburg called Pukeng, um, raised uh, by you know, strong-willed parents. Um, my father was a pastor. Um, and, you know, you grow up in the church space with very strong-willed parents. Uh, but I grew up very alone. Um, I grew up in my head a lot of the times. Um, my mom didn't believe in having friends. Um, she always believed that friends will bring expectations that she can't meet. So she always used to just discourage us from friends. Um, and that helped me, in 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 a way, spend a lot of time with myself, um, spend a lot of time in my mind um and as much as it was lonely then it 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 really worked the 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 brain and the skill set to just be um able to just create you know from nothing and i think that's one of the biggest things that my childhood uh, taught me is the ability to create from nothing Um, because I'd have to create my own friends, my own imaginary friends, imaginary toys, imaginary things. And what I wasn't aware of at the time is that what that tool was building, it was building this muscle of creativity, this muscle of seeing life from a different perspective, this muscle of observing Um, And that's been such a great tool in the work that I do now. Um, Growing up, I've got um, three siblings. I've got an older brother. I've got two younger sisters. Um, And, you know, we grew up in a very um, impoverished background, if I could say so. Uh, My parents tried where they could. Um, and unfortunately, when I was in primary school, they got di- divorced and um, I ended up living with my father while my other siblings went and stayed with my mom. Um, and there, you know, you, you, you grow through a lot of tough times as well. Um, my dad lost his employment and he ended up also passing away. Um, so I grew up also in in more loneliness in the sense of not having much of a father figure um, in in my life. Um, and that created such a deep rooted void, um, especially when it came to being father, it came to seeking out a mentor. Um, and again, a void that I had in my childhood, you know, God, by the grace of God, has been the very tool that I've utilized um, to be able to be a coach in the lives of other people. Because what, what that did, Is that I can then recognize that pain in others. Um, And funny enough, what I've seen in my coaching is that, you know, I I coach a lot of um, high school varsity students and young adults, and I end up taking a father figure role in their lives as well. So I think a lot of the stuff that I went through in my upbringing, as much as they were painful at the time, little did I know that they were preparing me for the very role that, you know, God wanted me to play in the lives of my coaching clients and in the lives of the people that I encounter. So um, in a nutshell, I, I would like to say I'm, I'm, I'm just a young boy who decided that he's going to believe that he could, even though his upbringing didn't say that he could. Um, I always tell people that where I come from, Success is matric, you know, my, the, the the people that I grew up around, their parents always used to say to them that, um, and it was something that was well known throughout the, the community that their responsibility is to take you to matric. After that, you know, it's it's up to you. You know, and a lot of the people that I grew up with are still there. They're still in that space. Um, they haven't really moved out of that village. Um, but for some reason, that, that ability to stay alone, that those moments of spending time alone allowed me to dream further than other people because I had to create a life I had never seen. Um, and then what that did is that I always pushed the boundaries. Um, I always wanted to seek out more. And uh, I've always been able to find myself in. Spaces where you know where I come from says I don't qualify, but because of that eagerness and that want and that that curiosity, I could say um, I'm here now in a space where I've been able to speak on national um, national TV, national radio. I've been able to 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 last year I had the pleasure of doing my first TEDx um, talk. Um, I've been able to life coach, people in America, people in other continents, I mean, other countries within the African continent. And it's all stems from, you know, that ability to dream beyond my current reality. Um, and in a nutshell, that's me. I'm, I'm, I'm just another young boy who
1: believed in his dreams. Thanks so much for sharing that, Coach D. For you, you just mentioned that success, rather there were instances where it was mentioned that success would be equated to getting to matric. For those who don't know what matric is, could you just expand a bit on that.
2: So I just exposed my age, right? So matric is grade twelve. Yeah, in our country we call it grade twelve, but growing up, it was referred to as matric.
1: Makes a lot of sense, and it just brings to mind a lot, a lot of the conversations that we've been having here on the podcast over the past couple of episodes. You know, we touched on, you know, what success looks like for an entrepreneur and their upbringing in in education and getting into into certain leadership roles in that sector. You know, we spoke to a number of people here on near, here in near Delta, right, who who interacted with this relationship, you know, in their households and amongst their siblings, amongst their family members. And you just referenced something which I feel like is very profound and it's how how your mother viewed relationships you know, such as friendships and and how how her view and her opinion influenced how you were raised and how you were, in other words, cultured in this in this household environment. I'm really curious to understand the relationship that you had with the different environments that you were in. You know, for us, for us to understand who you are now, Coach D, and the purpose behind your work what do we need to know about the external environments that you're interacting with? You mentioned, you mentioned school as, a, as, a, as an environment that you were in and you, you were coming from this place where in the household there's a lot of isolation from the external world and so you're, you're pretty much in your hand. There's the, there's the benefit of you know it building creativity in you. Were there some instances where your relationship with other people was affected by this household upbringing from your, from your parents' side and, and are there ways that you can, you can quote that now and see how it's, it's really translating to the life that you're living today and the relationship that you're building today?
2: Absolutely. I I think three dominant environments that I, I spent a lot of time in, um, especially as I was growing up was number one was home, Um, And that in and of itself, you know, came with certain barriers and boundaries, right? Because um, the truth of the matter is that people will always project um as far as they can see in our lives you know um so i understood that my mother was was projecting on me in terms of the limitations of not having friends based on her experiences with friends um but what 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 helped with navigating that space is that luckily for me i had the opportunity of going to school outside of the village right? And it was a a multiracial school. So there was different ethnicities, different races, different cultures. And what that helped me realize is that as much as there's this environment that I've known all my life, there's another environment out there. So school for me was another environment because I had to now learn a new language, right, in terms of English, because um, I didn't know English. Um, I had to learn this new language of this new environment. And I had to learn that this new environment um, exposes me to different things. I I remember one of the biggest things that really challenged my thinking is at the, at the beginning beginning of every term. So after we'd come back from holidays, there was this, ex, uh, uh, this exercise that our teacher would make us do where you stand up in front of the class and you sort of tell the class how your holidays were, right? And I would always hear, you know, particularly our, our Caucasian students speak about trips, speak about going fishing, speak about all of these other things that I only ever saw on TV, and what that did to me is that it created curiosity, but it also created tension because I knew where I come from, my home environment was saying, I can't be friends with these people. Whereas, this schooling environment was exposing me to stuff. And what that created, it was creating another desire. Um, And I remember having a tough conversation with my mother once when one of my friends invited me for a sleepover, you know, over the weekend. Um, And she sat me down and she says, I'm going to let you go, but I want you to know that you must not come back here with those expectations, you know. Um, And for some reason, I listened, but I didn't acknowledge. Right, so I didn't allow what she was saying to be a permanent, you know, restriction in my mind. Um, and what I did is that I literally went to, to 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 sleep over at this friend's place, and I allowed myself to be in that environment. And you know, if I can just elaborate a bit on the story. So the the the, the first thing that he introduced to me was a a computer, and I had never seen this before, and I'm like, what? What's going on here? And he introduced me to FIFA. I ended up playing FIFA the whole night. And he was like, dude, we can play this tomorrow. But I was like, I don't know when I'm going to experience this again. So I'm going to be here. I'm going to I'm gonna play this until I pass out. And I played FIFA till like four or five o'clock in the morning um, and then went to bed. And then when we woke up, you know, around about 10, he was like to me, what do you want to have for breakfast? Right. And I'm like, what do you mean? Oh, We usually just eat porridge for breakfast. And he's like, no, go to the pantry um, and, and see what you want. So firstly, I don't even know what a pantry is. So he walks me to this pantry and he opens the door. And oh, my goodness, all of the cereals I could ever imagine were there, right? And I lost it. I took the biggest bowl that they had. You know, and I just kept pouring all the different cereals um, and I had the time of my life. Granted, I had a stomach bug afterwards, but what matters was when I was in an environment that projected more than what my norm was, I allowed myself to fully experience that environment. And what that does is that it started to create appetites for more. My home environment came with limitations, but the school environment was telling me, this is what you may have known, but there's more. And then the third environment that influenced my life was the environment I created in my mind. Because I knew my school environment and my home environment cannot coexist because it's going to frustrate my mother. She's always going to feel like um, she's less of a parent. I allowed my the desires that the school environment created in me to exist in my mind environment, so mentally. So I would dream a lot about the kind of holidays I'd one day take myself in, the kind of places um, that I would one day want to stay in. And I remember creating this this, this routine where at 9 o'clock every night I would go outside, I would spend about 15 to 20 minutes praying and then I would just watch the stars outside and just imagine and just, you know, relive the experiences that I had with my school friends in this other environment in my mind. And what that di- did for me is that no matter how tough my home environment became, because we, we went through days or weeks sometimes where we didn't have food, where I would skip terms at school because I couldn't afford to go to school. Um, and, you know, when my parents got divorced, there was a lot of abuse that took place during that time um, and, 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 and things like that. But that those nine o'clock sessions where I could spend in my third environment, my mental environment where I could dream, They offered me hope and they gave me something to work towards. And I remember it was in grade grade nine where I said to myself, keep surviving your home environment because once you pass and you go to varsity, all these dreams that you've had, you will be in a position to make come true. Um, and, and so growing up, I, I always you know, rotated between these three environments, the limiting one of home, the school environment that was stretching my mind, stretching my creativity, letting me know there's more. And then this mental environment where I would dream and now package all of this information that life was throwing my way to say, okay, yes, there's more, but what kind of more? What more would be suitable for me? What more would I want to live? And allowing myself to live that out. I used to hate doing dishes, right? But I always volunteered to do dishes because what it would do, it would give me time alone and I could just zone out and be in my own world. And imagine myself doing dishes one day in an apartment. Imagine myself speaking one day in different stages. So the, the the ability to coexist in those three environments allowed me to be able to navigate them in a way where I understood which environment to tap into when I needed what. And I, I hope that answers your question.
0: It, it really does indeed, Coach T. I mean, so, so profound. You've spoken about something that I believe so, so many, I want to say almost every African child can relate to this idea of having different environments that we exist in. But I love how you phrase it in that, look, regardless of where your home environment is, you have control over your mind environment. And that's such, that's so encouraging for everyone to hear. Uh, We're faced with a lot of, um, we're, we're facing environments that are full of failure, wherever we look, you know, failure in front, failure on the side, failure behind. And it's almost like we're sometimes set up for failure, But the environment in your mind is what you create of it. You know, that's what you have power over. So very, very profound. I'm writing notes. I'm keeping these for myself. One thing that stands out with everything you talk about is your interaction with people. You have a keen interest in people and people development and just supporting people overall. And so my question is, where did this interest come from? What shaped it and why people development specifically? So
2: I think two key things,
0: right? Um, Firstly, I think
2: uh, it's not an interest for me. I think it's a calling more than anything, because I always say to people like this followed me before I could follow it. Um, And and just, you know, to give a story in, in high school, my nickname was Dr. Phil, you know, and people just found a way to just come and talk to me and come and get advice from me, um, even though my own advice never really worked for me that well, but seemingly it was working well for other people. Um, and I think through that, through, you know, constantly being in a position where you are seeing and hearing people's pain, and yet you are put in a position where by some grace of God or you know, you are able to help people navigate that. I think that's where it all started to germinate, and it started to actually, you know, um, this passion and this desire to help people started. Because honestly speaking, I didn't look for it; it looked for me at first. Um, I remember even, you know, when I was in primary school, um, my my older brother was 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 yeah, he was quite a character, um, and his girlfriends would often come and complain to me about him, you know, and I, I would sit there think. But I'm just a kid. Why are you telling me this? You know? Um, so I think the beauty of, of my journey is that it followed me before I could follow it. Um, and then the second part of it came in is, you know, after 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 high school, I went to university and um, I, I had to pay my way through university by coaching. And I, I did a lot of sports coaching. And what was what was amazing is that I'd spend an hour and a half coaching the sport. But literally for three, four hours after practice, there'd be a line of of, of, of of young people just wanting to come and speak to me about their life issues, you know, either work, I mean, school stresses, home stresses, and things like that. And what I saw in that is that I was able to help people survive another day. And when you see somebody walk to you, you know, in a space where they, they, they are almost calling it quits, they're facing suicidal thoughts. And just by having a conversation with you, they're able to leave with hope. That did something to me. And it gave me a, a sense of, of satisfaction, a sense of accomplishment. Um, and, and I started wanting to chase that feeling more because I started feeling like this is the thing that I was born for. Um, And and, and I think what it also stems from is the fact that I didn't have much of a role model growing up. I know how painful it is to try to navigate life alone, to try to navigate life using trial and error. And I think I can recognize that pain in others. And my my heart's desire has always been to help people and to give people the very thing which I desired the most growing up, because I can see that pain in others. So I think, uh, you know, the, the the combination of those things it chasing me before I could even know what it was um, seeing the fruits of the work in terms of seeing how impactful it is to have right conversations and just to nav- help people navigate things from a different perspective and then thirdly I think that that ability to be in a position to give people the very thing that I desired and, and yearned for the most growing up I think it's, it's such an amazing place and that's what you really galvanized me to do this personal development Development work, to do the coaching, because it allows me to be able to point into all three of
1: those points that I mentioned. Wow, Kosti, that's a beautiful, that's a beautiful, beautiful narration right there and really gives gives us and the listeners, I'm sure, a very good understanding of the role that the people in your life have played, first of all, in just your life journey and incorporating and to the work to the work that you're doing today but more more so just how you're pouring into others right from that from the value that you've that you've picked up over the years and the people who you know in different capacities have invested and trusted trusted your opinion and trusted your work when we were when we were doing research before coming onto this we came across a very beautiful interview that you did for Newsroom Africa about 3 years ago And it was on the conversation of, you know, failing matric, right? You know, what should, how should students navigate failure when it comes to, you know, academics, all of these expectations. And, you know, one thing that really stood out from that interview is what you mentioned about self-management systems, right? Where, you know, both for the students' part and for the parents' part, it's important to be able to recognize when we're having, having all of these telltale signs of, negatively handling failure, right? Whether it's Now, let me take that back. Not necessarily negatively handling failure, but just how we react to failure as human beings, right? Whether it's um the negative aspects of depression, you know, of 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 withdrawal from the different social spaces that we're in. And, you know, this manifests differently in people. The people who react to failure in a negative way, but the those who you know, they'll take a hit, they'll they'll fail up, right? <laughs> like we do here in Philip, Up Africa. They'll they'll fail fast, fail forward, and and they'll be able to navigate this. I'd love I'd love to 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 ask whether you could give us just a sense of how you as a life coach have navigated these different self-management systems when you've encountered failure over the course of your career. And are there are there instances where you can you can perhaps quote a negative reaction that you had to, to failure in any of these instances, you know, on top of just the different positive self-management systems that you've been able to develop? Absolutely. Um, I, th- I think just to,
2: to tap into a personal story. So um, a couple of years ago, I, I, I went through, I think, one of the, the darkest periods in my life. Um, my mother had, um, you know, had a stroke. Um, and I literally, I had to relocate to go back home and, and to take care of her. Um, so I had to leave, um, uh, houting, you know, leave work, leave everything that I was doing. It was before, you know, remote working and, you know, um, um online was a thing. So, um, I literally had to leave everything that I was doing here and go back home, um, to look after her. And back then I was engaged, um, but the the demand that came with my mother's recovery, um, it financially was 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 strenuous. It was emotionally very strenuous, um, to the point where my engagement collapsed, and, and um, the person that I was engaged to at the time um, told me that she couldn't handle this journey with me, and she left. Um, and literally I'm going through a stage where um, I'm losing everything. I, I lost work. I was in, in business in the mines. I lost the contract, um, the huge contract that was, you know, taking care of me, my siblings, and my mom at the time. Um, but because of the worry, the stress, and the up and downs from one hospital to another, I couldn't be fully present. Um, I lost that relationship, and I found myself in a place where I was crumbling. I remember being in a room, in one of my rooms, in the deep heat of summer, but I was shaking and I was so cold. Um, I remember, you know, coming out of that room, crying and driving myself to the doctor. And my doctor was like, you're clinically depressed. Um, And they put me on, you know, clinical depression medication. Um, And I took the medication for two weeks and I kept saying to myself, but is this, is this it? Does this mean that my whole life now I'm going to be reliant on pills, reliant on external forces just to be able to survive? And yet I'm helping people every day manage their own problems. And I think the biggest failure at that moment was me recognizing that I wasn't taking the medication that I was giving other people. So the way I would tell my coaching clients to manage that kind of s- situation, I wasn't doing that. Um, and it was in that moment of, of, of deep depression, getting, you know, literally waking up in the morning, not wanting to open my curtains, just wanting to stay in that room, waiting for the call from the hospital to say, you know, your mom is gone. Um, it was in that, place where I I had to have an honest conversation with myself and and say to myself, like, you're not taking your own medication. Um, And it was from that conversation that I started to then, I started to coach myself. You know, And the, the biggest thing that I started doing was, was understanding that I, I have to take out my thoughts. I can't leave them in my mind because I'm currently too emotionally invested in what I'm going through with my mom, with everything that I've lost. So I started therapy. And parallel to therapy, I started um, life coaching with another life coach as well. So I took myself through the same process that I would normally take somebody else. Um, and it starts with being able to speak. It starts with being able to, to talk about what you're thinking, how you're thinking, because the truth of the matter is you are too, like most of the times when we're going down the, the failure, you know, tunnel hole, you are too emotionally invested in the outcome to see clearly and to see it for what it's worth. So it's so important to have an external perspective of someone who's not emotionally invested either in your outcome or in your process um, so that they can be able to to guide you and tell you, you know, whether or not um, you are in the right space, whether you're seeing things the way things act- actually are, or if you are, you know, not necessarily navigating that space correctly. And I think what taking coaching in that time did, it allowed me to vent, number one, and get my thoughts out of there. But it also gave me a different perspective of my situation. And that's why I love coaching, because a lot of the times as a coach, your job is to listen and then help your clients see it from a different perspective because there's always a different perspective. There's always a third part to the story there's always another door that you're not seeing but because of the emotions because of the stress of everything oftentimes you're too emotionally invested to see it and it often takes a neutral perspective to be able to give you that different foresight and that perception so i think navigating that space for me going for therapy and going for for coaching was an important thing and you can imagine being a black person a black male you know, it's, it's, it's not something that's well, you know, promoted in my culture. Um, and I remember I was so embarrassed about it, even at the time, I, I didn't tell anybody, there was only one friend of mine who I told at the time, because, and the only reason why I told this because a year earlier, she had gone through, you know, deep depression, and I helped her navigate that space. So I knew she would be able to relate, and it would be a, a safe space for me to be vulnerable with that experience, you know, because you you're, you're, you, you, you always sometimes get into the space where you, especially when you're doing personal development work as a coach, it's easy for people to think you always have it figured out. And it's easy to sell that image as well, um, that you always know the answers, you always have it figured out. But the truth of the matter is that we're all human and we all need help. And I think the best thing about that experience is that, number one, like I said, it allowed me to have support structures because I had people to speak to. And number two, I had to come to a point of acceptance that I need help. I, I, for years, I had been everybody else's help. I, I had a superhero complex. Um, I was fixing all everybody's problems. I was fixing my friends' problems, my clients' problems, my family problems, but I wasn't in a position to be able to reach out and say, I need help. So what that period of of, of, of of going through that helped me do is help me admit that I'm human. You know, and I think when you get to that point, especially as a man where you admit and you can acknowledge that you're human, you put yourself in a position where other people can now help you. Um, so with regards to the self-management systems, I think, number one, having somebody, an external person to be able to speak to is very important. Number two getting to a point of acknowledging that I'm human, what that does is that it allows you to give yourself unconditional positive regard. You know, I always say this to, to, to my clients that oftentimes we treat other people that we love better than the way we treat ourselves. And I always say to my clients, treat yourself like someone you love. And in that season, I know I was not treating myself like someone I love because if it was someone I loved going through all of that, I would have been more patient with them. If it was someone I loved going through that, I would have been more encouraging, more affirming. I would have been, you know, more supportive. But I was coming down on myself. I was judging myself. I was just seeing negative, negative, negative the whole time. But the moment I became more human, the moment I accepted my own humanness, I started going through a period where I became, you know, more relatable to myself. I started, you know, um, I remember I started this jar of acknowledgement and Thanksgiving where I would acknowledge things that I've done right and I would I would mention things that I was grateful for. And what that started to do is that, yes, there's all of this bad that's taking place, but I started to light candles of joy, candles of gratitude, candles of thanksgiving. And when you do that every day, it starts off with one candle, the next day it's two, the next day it's three. And the beauty about life is you never have to fight the dark. You just have to keep putting on the light because darkness will immediately flee in the presence of light. And when I started acknowledging myself, when I started affirming myself and I started a morning and evening routine. So in my morning routine, I would do a lot of meditating. I would do a lot of listening to worship music. I would listen to a lot of affirmation videos. Um, I started listening to you know motivational speakers like Les Brown, Eric Thomas. And what was that doing is that it was pumping me up with faith that I didn't have. You know, sometimes you go through seasons where you don't have the courage, you don't have the faith, and you need to tap into somebody else's faith until you build enough of your your own. And every time I would listen to those, whether I was driving, whether I was walking, every time I would listen to those things, a little bit of extra faith, because what it was doing, like I said earlier, is that I was starting to light candle by candle. And sooner or later, every morning, I had this you know, routine that will just jolt me with energy, and 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 I started having courage to take meetings again, started having courage to look for work again, started having courage to even when I would visit my mom, even though she was still in hospital, I would leave her with courage. You know, I would tell her that we're going to be okay. I started praying again, started getting into my routine of reading the word again. And literally, it was those little candles that I would light every single day through my morning routine. And then in, in the evening, it was affirmation. I would affirm myself, you did well. You you did the best that you could. And as I started affirming myself, what that did is that I started believing in myself again. And a lot of the times when we face failure, what it does is that it causes a lack of self-belief and it affirms a lack of self-belief. So every time a new opportunity comes, what your mind then says to you is that, what are you doing? you know you failed the last time. Right, and then you begin to develop this negative this negative narrative in your mind. But when you have affirmations, what that does is that it starts to reaffirm the right things. So that even in the midst of failure, you then have an affirmation that says, "Yes, but you 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 did fail, but you you can try again. You are capable. You are able of doing this thing." And then, you know, just to to wrap it up, I think one beautiful thing is a conversation that I had as well in this season where. I've been diagnosed with clinical depression. My mom is still in hospital. I've lost two businesses and and work, but I'm rebuilding. And I remember having a conversation with my coach at the time, and he said to me, what would change if you stopped seeing failure as an enemy and you saw it as a teacher? And that conversation blew my mind and changed everything. I remember asking him, what do you mean? Like, how can failure possibly be a teacher? And he said to me, all it did was show you what not to do. You still have an opportunity to find out how to do it right. You now have more wisdom of what not to do in business. Doesn't mean business holistically is not for you. It just means that approach that you used was not the right way. So take the learning lessons from it and then move on and try again. And from that moment, I started seeing failure differently. I no longer relate to failure as an enemy, but I relate to failure as a friend. I relate to failure as a teacher because it, it, it gives me lessons. I, I always say to my clients, I, I operate in wins and in lessons. There's no such thing as a loss because I'm going to get value from every experience I go through, good or bad. So either it's going to be a win or it's going to be a lesson. And I can say that because even in my life, that's what I, that's what I had to do. So I sat back and I was like, okay, what's the win or what's the lesson in my mom having a stroke right now? What's the lesson behind um, the failure that I had in business? Oh, I didn't have, Uh, solid contracts. This and that was lacking. I should have incorporated this. And now I'm at the level where I am and I'm able to, uh, you know, uh, experience the kind of success that I'm experiencing, not necessarily because of all the wins, but because I was able to see failure as a teacher and I extracted value that helped me create more wins in the future. Um, And yeah, I can talk for a long time. So I think hopefully I answered your questions there.
1: Wow, that was, a, that was a massive blow. You just landed on us, Coach D. <laughs> you had me when you drew a parallel between our relationship with failure and our relationship with masculinity as men. Because I think that's one of the deepest tunnels to dig ourselves out from mentally as men when a lot of the societal expectations on the continent for for us as African men and and in the environments that we were cultured, you know, they're, they're those toxic masculine environments that we that some people grew up in where, you know, you're told not to cry as a man or, you know, as a man, you should be this, as a man, you should do this, or as a man, you shouldn't fail, you know, to that extent. And I think you know one of the most powerful things that I'm leaving this conversation with, Coach T, is you know what you mentioned about the fact that you know when you're too emotionally invested in the process or the outcome, it's difficult to be able to see clearly. You know, and you need that other perspective. You know, and it comes down to do you have the self awareness to recognize when you're either slipping into negative self-management systems or you know when you need someone else to come and help you get through this process or give you insight into this and that that can be clearly seen from how you know you went out of your way to invite someone else into this process to hold your hand and to walk with you. And the fact that you're doing this for other people now is just all the more inspiring. So thank you. Thank you so much for sharing that. Coach T as we as we come to the end of this Right, uh, we would love to to hop into the next uh, rapid fire question segment that we do that we do at the end of this episode, and you know just in summary, this will this will be an opportunity for for us to ask you a question, you know, a rapid fire question, you know, that we have, and there are a couple of rules here, Coach T, so you'll have to you'll have to play play our game a little bit over here. Right. So, so guests must answer the question asked of them and they must keep their answers short with little to no explanation. If you tell us something juicy, Coach T, hey, we'll ask you to break that down for us. But um, you know, we'd love to know, are you, are you ready for this, Coach T? Yes, I'm ready. I'm ready. I promise to be short. Beautiful, beautiful. All right. So the, so the first question, I want you to think back to a time when you were 18 years old. Right. So This is decades ago, Coach T, I know, I know we've, you know, we've, we've lived our life here for a couple of decades. Um, but think back to a time when you were 18 years old. What was one mistake or serious error of judgment you made during this time? Trusting the wrong friends. Well, hey, that's a, <laughs> that's a heavy one. Um, we'll ask you to expound on that after, after the recording, this exclusive content. <laughs> All right, next question, Coach T. Finish this sentence. The greatest gift my moments of failure have given me is? The ability to know that I can overcome. Beautiful. Spoken like a true inspirational speaker. Love that, Coach T. Next question. Netflix is making a movie about your life. Who would play your 18 year old self in this film? Hectic. Um,
2: I think. One of my coaching clients, his name is Dile Lang.
1: Yeah, he would be perfect for that role. Now it's your responsibility to make sure you send him this episode once it's out so he can hear you shout him out as, as a potential actor, <laughs> Coach T. All right, next one. Given the context of this podcast, what is one piece of advice you would give your 18-year-old self? Allow yourself
2: the opportunity to see tomorrow no matter how bad it gets.
1: These are all tweetable quotes you're dropping, Coach T. Our Twitter feed is going to be full of you today. Last and final question. When you were 18 years old, thinking about your future, what did you hope you'd be remembered for? Being an impactful speaker who's
2: filled stadiums, not just with people, but with hope.
1: There you have it, folks. That was Coach T in the flesh. This was such a beautiful conversation, Coach T. I, I know, I know, Elma and I are leaving this conversation more inspired, more informed, right? Than we walked in, and and to all our listeners, for those of us who have stuck around, you know, till the end of this episode, we hope you're able to to do the same, right? Walk into this conversation and be able to to empathize with with Coach T's story and, and be inspired by your story as well. And and for the most part, be able to personalize his experiences to your life, right? He has dropped some incredible gems. You know, if we had more time, we'd, we'd definitely go deeper into this. But, you know, Coach T, I just love to, to thank you and appreciate you for being vulnerable with us here on the podcast and for giving us the opportunity to, to step into your world, to step into your story and be able to, you know, to, to sit with you, in the emotions that we've shared on this podcast and to sit with you in the, in the incredible life-changing experiences that you've been through. Thank you
2: for the opportunity. Um, I think I am just humbled, um, again, just, you know, for the work that you guys do. Um, it's just another part of my journey where, you know, a platform like yours, you know, tells that young version of myself that your dreams were valid. So thank you for validating a black child's dreams today with this interview. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. And thank you to your listeners for giving us
1: their ear today. There you have it, folks. If you liked what you heard, please share this podcast with young people, your friends, your peers, your colleagues in school, at work, who might benefit from the experiences that Coach T has just shared in this episode. And we would love to hear from you on how you're failing up this year per usual. You know where our Instagram page is, you know, at FailUpAfrica. You know, if you want to check out our website and reach out to us, you know, through the messaging platforms on the website, you can find us at philipafrica.com. And per usual, we want your help in curating this platform, guys. These conversations are are meant for you and we'd love for you to also play a role in cultivating, not just, you know, from the social media aspect and the engagement that we're getting, but, you know, are there any people on the continent who you'd love for us to feature on this podcast? We have a really good ability of you know digging into our networks and and bringing amazing people such as coach 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 t from all over the continent to, to share and speak with us here on the podcast uh, please do let us know through our instagram or through our direct messages once again it's been real i was your co-host von Mina, joined by elma akog and we will see you next time here at Philip africa the podcast cheers everyone